This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Essentials course here in Asia Torah, in the old city of Jerusalem. What we're doing uh, this week is we're, we are focusing specifically on will. And the reason we're focusing specifically on will is, uh, if I can quote one of the new wave uh, great musicians that everyone loved in the 80s. His name was Joe Jackson. He said, you can't get what you want till you know what you want. It goes like this. Remember Joe Jackson? Tell you one thing, you can't get what you want. Till you know what you want. So you can't get what you want. Till you know what you want. Said you can't get what you want. Till you know what you want. Remember that one at all? Uh-huh. That was on the radio. Didn't get a ton of airplay. But... Okay. So, yeah, you can't get what you want till you know what you want. And it's the difference. Hey, what's up, Arthur? Fine, we're out of seat, so we got to bring in. You mind dragging in just a couple seats? Oh, yeah. Pull, pull that up to next to this dude over here. So, when you know what you want, you're just flying at it. And when you don't know what you want, you can't even get yourself to crawl out of bed. Ain't that the facts? When you don't know what you want, or you're trying to want things that other people wanted for you to want, you can't get out of bed. I remember in college there would be uh, there would be some guy who's like he was pre-med. We met him. He was all prepped out, you know, preppy guy coming in for pre-med at the university. And uh, by the end of the first year, his hair was like down to his shoulders. By the end of the second year, the guy was like a chronic weed smoker, and did not did not um, schedule in a single class before noon by the second year. And finally he broke down and spilled his guts to his father, who was a doctor, and his grandfather was a doctor, and his great-grandfather was a doctor who he didn't know. And he said to them, I want to be an artist. And then within another year, the guy was up at dawn sculpting. And... His hair stayed long, though. Kind of fit in the, the uh, arts and crafts uh, hairdo. So we'd like to look for signs that when we're not listening to ourselves. So some of those signs are as follows. There will be um, digestive uh, issues. Uh, the stomach won't work quite right as well as it could be. The metabolism won't be great. Um, it'll also affect breathing. You'll, you'll find you're taking shorter breaths. You're not really breathing well. Uh, another thing is acne, headaches, and any other kinds of aches. These are all signs from God. Our body is feeding back to us. It's letting you know that you're not in the zone. You want to be in the zone, and the meaning the zone really is your will, like getting in touch with your inner will and, and then living that will. So when you're out of the zone, your body will let you know going to tell you and now that doesn't mean that you always get out just because your body says get out meaning first say mazel tov to the bride and groom or something and then run you know like if your body's saying get out you got you might need to stay in a little longer um, an example of that is classic example is someone who's never learned torah meaning they've never gone to yeshiva and yeshiva is like one of the most unnatural places ever it's an unnatural environment and you're, you're, nothing you're doing makes any sense except to your brain. 
and you're, you exist in much more than your brain. So what will happen is people will get, oh, the, also the immune system goes bust. When you're in a long-term situation where you're out of your zone, your immune system will also go bust, and you'll, you'll be catching colds and stuff, and all of a sudden getting sick when you never used to. So those are all signs to get out, unless, of course, you should stay in a little bit. For example, someone who doesn't know anything about Judaism, who's trying to learn yeshiva for a little while, to catch up, just to catch up to seven-year-olds. And that, that person should force himself to stay in yeshiva. He should force himself in there. And the way he forces himself in is by having a daily release. He's got to every day do something that's, that is in the zone. Whether it's writing, maybe the person likes to write, maybe it's music, maybe it's sports, whatever it is. Maybe it's just socializing. But they have to make sure they're getting their, their share of zone time when they're forcing themselves to learn in yeshiva, which is way out of their zone. We brought up yesterday that the two greatest fears are the fear of, of rejection and the fear of failure. In order to know what you really want to do, you've got to get over fear of rejection and the fear of failure. And we spoke two days ago about getting rid of the ego. Because the ego, what's really going on is when, it, when you get rejected, i.e. when people say you're, what you want, what your will is, and what you want to go do, we think is stupid. Or your father says, I think that's risky. You should choose a safer path. That's a risk. Reminds me of a great Jim Carrey line. He said that his father was a great musician, a real, like, serious jazz musician. And he gave it all up to become an accountant because it would be safer. But in his 50s, he was fired, and they wound up impoverished. And so he, Jim Carrey said to himself, I'd rather fail doing what I love than fail at doing something I don't love. He learned that from his father. So, yeah, there will be people, they're going to be naysayers. You're not going to have the usual support you might have had. But you pursue it anyway. That's the fear of rejection. And then the fear of failure is whatever you do in life, if you want to succeed, you're going to fail many times. There will be many failures until you finally get traction with what, with, uh, with what it is you, you want. Two days ago, we handled self-image. Is that well, when you are rejected or when you fail, you can't help but have your self-image injured in that process. And so you got to get out of self-image. And the way you get out of self-image is simply by getting connected to the soul. The soul has no self-image. It's not male. It's not female. It's not olive-skinned or, or light-skinned. It doesn't have brown eyes or blue eyes. The soul, that is the consciousness that you're listening to me with right now, is a universal consciousness that somehow has inspired, I'm saying that literally inspired from the word spirit, it has inspired itself into your body. It's breath of life. In fact, the word spirit, spire, comes from the word lungs with air. Lungs filled with air is the word spire. And that's the word for spirit or spiritual. If you jog, you will perspire. If you pass out, they will put on a respirator. If they fail, you will expire. When you see the Swiss Alps, you are inspired. And when you get in touch with that part of you, which is the soul, which is the spirit, so there's no failure. You cannot fail. 
What you did could fail, but you yourself and your essence, your spiritual essence, can never fail. People can reject what you did, but they can't reject who you are. Because it's the eternal spirit, the eternal soul that is your self-identity. Arthur. Uh, I want to go back just a second where you're talking about the dissonance when you're when you feel that dissonance you should go forward towards it. So if you're in Yeshiva, for example, you know, somebody all of a sudden gets sick and they're like, I don't want to be here, I don't and they just this, this thing just starts to pop up. How do you know when which side is which which side is listening? Meaning do you keep going or do you stop? Right, yeah. So yeah. so some, we, we speak to the wise man. We always go to the wise man, and we, we, we seek the Merlin. And in Judaism, that would be a rabbi of great experience who gets to know you. He's got to get to know you. But, uh, and you can give him the, the cliff notes about yourself till he really gets to know you. But you, you go speak to someone. You speak to someone. I found, in general, with yeshivas, that it, it works like this. There's like, there's grow, you grow a lot in yeshiva, and then it kind of plateaus, and then you actually start going into like negative space here. So the, this is the area where you want to get a job. And then, and then if you get a job there, you will, uh, or really here's the place you want to get a job. If you get a job here, you'll continue growing spiritually, but that trajectory is available perhaps later, even after you plateau. Um, but from here down, it gets much harder. Gets much harder. And they, so there's a time to leave yeshiva. And people have to know when that is. And for scholars, you might say, well, what about a scholar? Should a scholar ever leave yeshiva? What's the answer? What would you think? A Torah scholar, should he ever leave? No. Yes, he should go teach. Yeah. He should go teach. And you've got to give. You've got to give. You can't just be full receive all the time. You've got to give. You can't just only receive. You can't just only deposit, 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 deposit. There's got to be a point where you you become a, a deposit, a reposit, reposit. Reposit, is that a good word? Any vocabulary buffs here? Reposit. Anyway, but that, that's kind of a chart to watch out for your overstay. And the way you deal with overstay is just speak to the wise man. And he'll let you know when you're effectivity versus the dissonance. Has no, I mean, as long as you're effective, even though there's dissonance, you stay in yeshiva. But once the dissonance has outweighed the effectivity, you're out of there. Yeah, and you go put it to good use. Okay. I'm, I'm nervous about where we're about to take this because... It's about, it's like this. There's two major types of people. There are people who are called dynamics, and then there's people who are called supportives. Dynamics are people who are generally, like, they're, they're the ones who are, like, brainstorming the ideas. They're the visionary types. Dynamic people are, are dynamic, and they are, are generally leading, the, leading things. There's another type of personality that's called a supportive. Supportive personalities are there to back up dynamics. They, they are there to back up all those things. They're the vast majority of humanity. Meaning if you had 100 people in a room amongst the Gentiles, if you had 100 Gentiles in a room, 
you would probably have maybe 20 dynamics or 15 dynamics and you'd have about 80 or, or 85 supporters. Their nature is to back up the movement. Like there's the dynamics are spearheading the movement and the nature of the supportive is to back it up, to support that, that movement. This is something that's particularly difficult for women in, that, uh, in traditional homes. Sometimes the woman's a dynamic, but has found herself in this constant support role. And that can be a little frustrating, because being a woman who's raising a large Jewish family with a husband who's out there doing whatever he's doing, uh, she automatically is put in a major support role. And what does a dynamic woman do in a support role? So that's something every woman will have to face if she's a dynamic, how she'll deal with that. I'm married to a dynamic, so she's, uh, she's now taken on to author books. So she's done a lot of projects, but this is a great one. And it works pretty well with until we start getting serious deadlines. But until those serious deadlines, being a, a mother and a wife and a homemaker, it's worked pretty well for her. And so she's just written an 800-page book, Women to Women on the Holidays. But she's not, don't worry, it's not going to be 800 pages. She's going to break it up. So we just put out our first book on Hanukkah. And you know what she called the whole series in honor of her husband? She called it Good Yontif. <laughs> it's called Good Yontif. She's doing Tu She's doing Tu in that she's hosting. Yeah. By the way, we're 15 days from Tu Bishvat. Tu Bishvat at my house is an all-night meditation. It's a food meditation, and obviously everyone's welcome. Um, you can come at any point of the night. There, there are very few of us who start the night and finish the night together. Um, I do. I, I go for the long haul, but it, it lasts about 12 hours. And we go, uh, not 12, last year was 12 hours, but um, but 10 hours, something like that. From what time to time? We'll start probably around 7, and it goes till about 7 in the morning. And uh, What is it? it? What are you doing? It's a tubish food meditation. You, you just freak out on God's love for you. But, but, but we're being like, we're, 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 we're like touching the food. It's amazing. Like, I've got a bathtub. You go in one at a time after you shower. It's, a, it's filled with pomegranate seeds. It's a whole experience. Wait, what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, we didn't have that last year. <laughs> you were at last year? Yeah. How long did you last? Until the mikvah the next morning. Till you were in the mikvah with yeah, all of us? <laughs> we had the whole Seder in the mikvah together. You know, like, I mean, just the men. We had like 12 naked men around the mikvah. And, and we've been up all night together. And we're all just chilling in the hot water. And the problems, my neighbors were coming in before prayers. And it was like, on Shabbos. It was on Shabbos. Yeah, it was, oh, Shabbos morning. Yeah, yeah it was the and best the, And the, the neighbors coming in to go to the mikvah. And it's just packed with a bunch of guys hanging out. And we're like, come on, you just get, just, you can go in the middle. You know? Remember our song? That guy wrote the song. It was insane. When two bitch back falls out on shots. I can't believe you When two bitch falls out on shots. We around? sing and dance the whole night long. When two bitch falls out on shots. When two bitch back, when two bitch back. We're all, the whole place is yelling. When two bitch back falls out on Falls out on shots. The whole place is like. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, so make, make, make sure you show up on Tubishvat. It could be we'll move it to a hall this year because it's. No. No. You've got to rub a tree outside your house. What can you do? Dance outside around the trees and stuff. There's trees. No, but I like your house. Okay, whatever.
<laughs> anyway, but here's the situation. What do supportives do to find their will when most of the time supporters are working for dynamics whose will is what they support? You get what I'm saying? What, this is a tough question. I don't even know where to go with this. That's why I'm reluctant. That's why I'm scared to discuss it. How does a supporter find their way in life to have wind in their sails, to be pumping forward with will, strong will, even though they're a supportive and will most likely make a living working for someone else's dream, supporting another person's dream? How does that dynamic do it? Got a couple answers here. I'm going to start in the back. The frame. They base off their own life off what they support. Meaning if they're supporting like a CEO of a company, they try to, you know, copy him and see how see how he lives and therefore that, that they, they base One say I didn't even listen. There's a button where you can flip the camera, just press the flip. See the flip? Flipped it? Uh, let your neighbor do it. Oh we got it. Got it? Cool. Go ahead, friend. They base their will on someone else's. Start again. They base their own will off they, someone they else's. They support it. Yes, they base their own will off someone else's. It's what you mentioned yesterday with self-worth. This is a very interesting answer. Okay? Yeah, you were saying? It's what you mentioned yesterday with uh, you're adding self-worth not to yourself but to other people. And that's not you're saying you don't like his answer. I'm just adding on to it. Oh, right? adding to it. Yeah. You think self-worth is based off, what do you say, based off others? Yeah, and that's not good. Right, not that, he's not saying self-worth. He's saying will. I like what he's saying. Hold on, I'm going to come to you. What I like what a, how I like what a friend's saying is think about it. Let's say I'm a dynamic, and I've got an idea. Do you think I'm the first person with that idea? No. No, no I, I, as a dynamic, I'm aligning my idea with some other idea. I'm not the most original guy in the world. So even me as a dynamic who's found his will, and now I'm going for it based on my will, there is probably another hundred people around the planet with the same exact idea. So it could be that the supportive, he may not find it in himself, but he can at least see which will, which will of dynamic people resonate with him. Which one do they resonate with and then go for it? What's that? And they make it their will. Yeah, well it is, if they resonate the most with it, it really is their will. It's just that they'll be more of a supportive so in the process. And they can become Yeah, sure. If they are doers. Sure, absolutely. And they're usually doers. Supporters are general doers. And and dynamics aren't necessarily big doers. Good. If you're a supportive, it's still your will, too. You need both. You flip the camera back? Yeah. You need the dynamic and the supportive in order to function. So you could be a supportive, and it's still your will. You just have a different role in it. Now, if it happens to be that the guy who, the guys who are dynamics are the ones who are coming up with the ideas, and there's the ones who are hiring supportives, find a dynamic that your will aligns with. Okay. Very good. Very good. Oh, okay. Yes, ma'am. I have a question. Ricky. Um, a support personality, is that why they have to be unoriginal? Because constantly just following other people's, not following, but just taking on other people's ideas. No, they can be, they can be, originally I wouldn't use the word, I would use the word innovative. They can be very innovative. Very innovative. I know people who are amazing innovators, and but they're generally looking to me for the, the path, and they're going to innovate for me. To get to the to success, what? Supportives do sound like followers, but but they're. Um, I think follower is just a negative word, in general, for a supportive. 
I don't think they're followers. I don't think being a supportive is negative at all. And it's the vast majority of humanity. It's not necessarily the majority of Jews. There's a weird... It's weird when it comes to Jews, but we have a totally different percentage breakdown between dynamics and supportives. This is one of the reasons why it's so hard to get Jewish labor and why Arabs have had such a big, uh, you know, influence in the labor system of Israel is because because they're, they are overwhelmingly supportive and Jews are overwhelmingly dynamic. And so we, we have this incredible amount of dynamics inside the Jewish nation and not a lot of people want to do data entry in the Jewish world. You know, we, we all want to be the Prime Minister. And the, and that was what Goldemir said, is do you know what it's like to be Prime Minister over four million Prime Ministers? It's hard to, it's hard to lead every Prime Minister that's in our country. Okay, and uh, we had another taker on this. Okay, at, at risk of this class turning boring, which we would never do. Um, we're gonna switch gears, just you had something you wanted to share? Yeah, um, maybe this was like a previous class, but can you just define what you mean by dynamic and supportive? Because I, I get the inference, but I think there's people that are would consider themselves fully dynamic or fully supportive, and they would say there's someone in the middle, so uh -huh. there'd be like clear definitions of what is I, what. I can't give a clear definition right now other than what I gave because I, I really simplified it. There's two words. I'm called a dynamic assertive. Dynamic assertives are like the people who are always messing with everybody. And I mean, the Avram Avinus who want to burn the idols. So I'm in a dynamic assertive. There's other people who are, who are dynamic aggressives. Dynamic aggressives are leaders. Leaders are dynamic aggressives. I'm not a leader. You'll see that wherever I go, I know you guys consider me because I'm a rabbi, I must be a Jewish leader. I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. I'm the opposite. I'm trying to turn you into a leader. But not that either. I want you to be you. So, the so it's just too complicated. Because and then even on supportives, there's supportive aggressives. Those guys are interesting. <laughs> I had like I had a guy managing me who's a supportive aggressive. Whoa, they call, my, the people my clients would call him the bulldog. It was not working out. Not working out at all. A supportive aggressive meaning he was amazing at supporting. But he was way too aggressive with my clients. So, and then there's a then there's support of a uh, whatever. I'm not going. There. So how do you figure out what you are like yourself? Whether you're a supportive or a dynamic? Yeah, or if you're aggressive or assertive. Hey, we we you just uh, go online. Just go online about it. Supportive dynamics, that type of stuff. You'll get to the. You know what's written on it. All right. Okay. All right. Um, so here we go. What is the Brooklyn Bridge made of? Steel. What is a car made of? Metal. What is an airplane made of? Metal. What is your clothing made of? What is your skin made of? Skin cells. So you guys were close on all of these, but the answer is, is that all of those things that I just mentioned are made out of desire. How is your skin made out of desire? Your parents desired each other. 
Thanks for asking. <laughs> I know it sounds yucky. <laughs> and people in Brooklyn really wanted to get across to Manhattan quicker. And people wanted to get in cars and drive themselves places quicker. They suddenly, it suddenly created cars and, and airplanes just really move fast and are extremely convenient for all of us. And they're all built out of desire. Everything's made of desire. Your clothing's made out of the desire of a designer to make a living with their creativity of small Asian children in bamboo cages not to get whipped. Of That was just to see if you guys were paying attention. <laughs> people who sewed the garments together, it was all made out of their desire to feed their family. I don't know how excited they are about making clothing, but they're probably supportive personalities. And they they're just want to pay their bills. Everything is made out of desire. Everything. When you align your desire with your actions, you will produce. Because that's how the whole creation works. Everything's made out of desire. It creates airplanes. It creates rocket ships. It creates satellites. It creates internet. It creates... Every single thing there is in the world is created from desire. Think of the technology of glasses. Like I'm wearing glasses now for distance. It's a tremendous technology way before it's time. They've had glasses for so long. It's way before it's time. You know why? Because the desire was so strong that it beat cars. Seeing was more important than getting places. So glasses beat automobiles. It all depends on the desire. So you got to get yourself straight when it comes to desire, because whatever you want, you will get. There's nothing that stands in front of will. And I'll show it to you now. Raise your hand if you ever wanted something badly. Raise your hand. Hi, not an L. I want a Vov. Okay, if you ever wanted something badly, very nice. Got a lot of hands up. Okay, keep your hands up if you got it. So think of something else. You'll realize you wanted other things badly and you got them. Hey, everyone's hand should still be up because you just chose the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning there are other things you've wanted that you got. You didn't always get nailed. Okay, keep your hands up. And now keep your hands up if you even wanted something badly. And it wasn't even like now that you know Torah and looking at God, that it wasn't even the right thing and you got it. Hands are still up. Okay, you can put your hands down. God created the universe in a way that it actually conspires to your free will. Did I say free will? Sorry. To your desire. Whatever it is you want is what you get, period. And there's a great quote that our sages said, that in the way that a man wants to go, in that way he will be led. But it says, Why does it say that in the way a man wants to go, wants, desires to go, he will be led there? Why does it say, they? it says, they will lead him? Who's they? Who are they? It should say, God leads you there. But the truth is, if it were God leading you there, he would never let you get it. But all your hands were still up. And you did get it. Even what was forbidden. Who are they? Who are the they that... Make sure you get it. And the answer is, they are what are called malachim. 
Malachim. The reason why they will lead you there, the reason why it's they, is because there are billions and trillions and zillions of beings that exist in a parallel world right outside of our world. Meaning, if you could see it, this classroom is completely duplicated in a realm right above us right now. And right above that, guess what's there? This classroom. It goes on and on and on. I mean, after a while, it starts to break up and turns into vibrational energy, which is, you know, just broken down light energy. And then it goes higher and higher and higher until it's like, you know, purely spiritual malachim. I'm not going to translate the word malachim. But, the, but we're made of a system that's built out of the malachim. Everything's made of malachim. When you hit the physical level, our level down here, so our level is not necessarily the malachim. Our level is just the other side of the malachim structure. We're on the other side of this whole giant matrix. We actually have, a, have images of that matrix. I can show it to you. I can't show it to you. We're using my phone right now. But we actually know what the matrix looks like on higher levels. It's pretty intense. And they are set up to deliver the will of mankind. They are there to, to deliver on your will. And for that reason, it's so important that we align our will with the, what's right. We've got to align our will with what's right, which means we've got to find out what's right and then align our will with that. Also, what it is you want to do, like in your life, like what your special contribution is, you want to align that also to make sure your contribution is not going to be causing more harm than good. And maybe your will is just going to wind up bringing you bucket loads of money, but you set it up beforehand what you're going to do with the extra in a way that it is going to promote the world and make the world into a better place. But nothing stands before your desire. So what we're going to do now is we're going to do a little bit of a meditation on will, on what we want. Now, we spoke about priorities before. I'd like to bring up what people consider to be the ultimate priorities. Now, I don't want to give you what you want. So what I'm going to do is just create categories, and you're going to fill in the blanks. So the category number one that we're going to set up is the spiritual. I would highly suggest that if you're Jewish, that the spiritual is in alignment with your tribal ancestry. If you want to max out spiritually, like really get to the max spiritually, you would want to be as aligned as possible with our tribe just because we're born to that tribe. But if I were speaking to someone from the Yucatan jungle of Mexico or the Indian continent or you know, some other you know, native country, I would speak to that person and I'd say you should be aligning with your native tribe. That I'd be saying for sure. Because you want to be organic to your people. Now, when it comes to, I spoke about this the other day, yesterday, I think, when it comes to religion, that you don't have to align with. And as we said, Judaism is not a religion, we're a tribe. And so, but because we're a tribe, so you, ideally you'd want to align yourself spiritually with your tribe. But you're going to fill in your own blank during the meditation. The next thing is, is love. 
And and what that is is our desire to share with people in our lives, which would be most specifically family, immediate family, a spouse, children. And it would also be, we discussed this earlier in the week, is being careful of the counterfeit. And the counterfeit of love is is just, you know, attention or or we, the one we discussed more specifically was lust. That that was the ultimate counterfeit of love. Is, you know, you'll, that's why you'll notice that anyone who, for example, let's say a woman, if she, if she had her heart broken enough times as a child growing up by parents who weren't doing a good job holding her heart, that you'll find her dressing more promiscuously, uh, meaning she'll be trying to attract more eyes as she becomes, you know, a teenager. And the reason she's doing that is because, is because that the attention she would get from her body would be, would be like a counterfeit version of the love she never could get. And so that's why if you ever see, specifically I'm aiming this towards the men, if you ever see a woman dressed provocatively, so instead of gawking at her, you know, to just remember that you're looking at someone who's, who's deeply wounded. Someone who's dressed provocatively is, has been wounded, and she has been relegated to, to attention, attraction, as opposed to what she truly needs, which is a real, solid, consistent, committed, and faithful love. So this is a, you're looking at someone who's been hurt. And so it, it really is, a, it's kind of a, it makes all men a little bit, if you think about it in this light, it turns a man a bit into a sicko to, you know, to lust after someone in that much pain. You, you understand? This is someone who's hurting deeply and not someone you want to lust after. And if, it, if it's a better cold shower, don't forget that's someone's daughter who's not sleeping at night. You know, there's some, there's some man trying to sleep at night and this is his daughter. If you want an even colder shower... You're one day going to have daughters. And you'd like to be able to say to God, please protect my daughter just the way I protected your, your, your daughters when I was a young man. And I was, I was, I was caring and loving and, and respectful of, of women. And so when you want God to protect your children and your daughters as a father, which you will, I promise every one of you men will want that. So every time... Every time a man is is involved with a woman in who who's involved in this kind of promiscuous behavior, he's he's ultimately being a, a hypocrite because that is there is some man losing losing sleep over this, i.e. her father. You're going to be a father one day, so how can you expect your daughters to be good if you weren't good with other people's daughters? And that same goes for uh, for watching them on screens or pictures. Stuff like that is <laughs> nobody wants their daughter doing that. So, but that's someone's daughter. So, like, have some respect for for that man. You got a you got a man out there who's, who's crushed by crushed by his his daughter's behavior and her and 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 obviously caring for her who's lost her sense of self in all of this. Sorry about that little parentheses, gentlemen. Normally, I don't hit that below the belt like that, but uh, it's Asia Tor. What do you want? You know, 
there's the only place in the world where you get to actually say whatever you want. So like, it's like the last bastion of freedom of speech here. So you feel free to contest me also. It's freedom both ways. You, know, you want to contest anything a rabbi says here, you can raise your hand and, and nail him. It's, it's, yeah, please. Um, no, I'd just like to question the assumption that anyone who dresses a woman or a man is hurting in some way because the way society portrays, um, you know, society's portrayal of both, you know, women and men in, in that way and just basic social norms and many things like that play a massive role and not every person who's dressing like that is hurt. They might be out of touch with their soul, mm. but they're not necessarily um, a hurting, vulnerable uh, person in terms of like, you know, just like seeing them as this like victim. Almost. Excellent, excellent. You said yeah. very nicely, very nicely. I give you that 100%. And I didn't say anyone. I just said, you know, women who. So, okay, so I was I was being speci- I was being very specific with okay, my words. So, so yeah, I wasn't so. saying anyone, but uh, but yeah, there are plenty of women like that. And to further your point, is there societies where, like for example, Miami, where wearing next to nothing is what you wear. That's just what you wear. So why would so, you assume that all? That's what I'm saying. I wasn't saying anyone, and I, I wasn't making that assumption. But the. Uh, but I hear how it could have sounded like I was, and I apologize. There are definitely uh, plenty of women walking around in bathing suits in downtown Miami right now with perfect self-esteem, and their hearts are, in, are fully intact. Yeah. I was just going to say what you wear and how you behave portrays the kind of person you are. It's like if I wear a pink suit in any neighborhood and I act a certain way, I'm going to portray like a certain image, you know? Yeah. Whether you like it or not, you know. Sure, of course, yeah. But that's that's out of the norm. She's saying she was saying the norm. When the, when it's within the norm, it doesn't mean the person's, you know, hurt. Um, but I, I will say one more thing, and that is that uh, uh, I've been running my programs, the Possibly Seminar, now for 16 years, and I've never ever had a single participant whose heart was intact, not one. Everyone was just somewhere along the scale of broken. Everyone's on the scale of broken, and and what I found is that the majority of the brokenheartedness did not come because of a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something like that. The majority of the brokenheartedness came from the parents and the siblings. There was teasing. There was there was uh, <laughs> standing outside your school waiting for your father to come, and he totally forgot. And now all the kids are gone, and you're still standing out there an hour later, and you know all kinds of broken hearts. I've broken every single one of my children's hearts. And every single one of those times that I've broken my children's hearts, you would have just put your arm around me and say, like, there was nothing you could do. But meanwhile, my kids' hearts have broken several times as a result of me, who's a, who fights for the, for the care and wholeness of the hearts of humanity. So all of our hearts broke. The majority of the times all of our hearts broke, we were probably not even five years. Now, how that plays out in our lives today is intense. It plays out intensely in our lives. We've created, we've created a whole world around ourselves. And most of it, you could just put a big P on it, on how you developed yourself since then. It's got a big P on it. You know what that P stands for? Protection. 
not promiscuity. Promiscuity is, is what I was talking about before. But our personalities are so much more protective than need be. You are way too guarded with your heart. It makes total sense to be guarded because of all the hurt we've been through and everything we've gone through. It makes sense you'd guard, protect. Uh, but it's not the answer. One second. The answer is not to protect yourself. The answer is to simply get smart. And smart is as follows. Smart is you always look at the recipient and you open your heart wide to the point that they're able to be trusted with your heart. So like, I've never seen you before, I don't think. Have I ever met you before? My heart's open wide to you, to the even now, to the, but to the point that I know you're trustworthy with my heart. So I've been friends with this guy for I don't even know how long now. How long have we been friends? Approximately. 10, ten years. Ten years. I promise you my heart's open to you and it's open to him, but it's gonna open further to him. Because I, there's a 10 years of trust there. You get what I'm talking about? My heart's open to him. He's a stranger. I don't know what he could do with my heart. But believe me, I'm not putting a ton of it in his hands till I feel safe. You get what's going on here? But whatever safety I got, you're getting from my heart. Why, why am I talking about the most obvious thing in the world? And the answer is because it's not obvious. People who got hurt don't give nothing of their hearts. They hold back everything. And so they never taste love. I'm a sea of love. And I own that website, by the way. I own I'm a sea of love.com. <laughs> you can watch videos on it, too. So I am a sea of love. How much love? Depends on the recipient's ability to hold it carefully, hold it sensitively, hold it respectfully, and hold it responsibly. You're going to hold my heart very responsibly, you're going to get a lot of it. You're going to hold my heart not so responsibly, what's going to happen? It's gone. No, you're getting my love. Just less than the person who will hold it properly. I'm never not giving love to everybody. I've had people, as a public figure, I've had people come after me. I've had people try to ruin my life and the lives of so many people because if you ruin my life, there are so many people out there in the world who would be highly messed up by that. You get what I'm saying? There are a lot of people who I'm their rabbi and I was maybe their first rabbi. You mess with me, you're messing with a lot of people. And I've had it happen. I've had it happen. You want to know how I feel about those people? The people who, who did that kind of damage, you know how I feel about those people? Love I love them. <laughs> and I forgive them. And I bless them to heal. They should have a healing from whatever's going on with them. They should heal. And I've been falsely accused, which hurts more. Like, at least if I did it. <laughs> you know, it's the worst. Ray John, you ever been falsely accused since you were a kid of whatever? It's the worst. It's much better to do it then be falsely accused because then, at least you're, if you're accused of what you did, okay. But when you're falsely accused, you start looking around the world and you're thinking, everyone thinks probably. Who knows what everyone else is like? Gee, I mean, if, if I'm getting accused of what I didn't do, what is everyone thinking? The whole world becomes like a, like a matrix you gotta get through. Not only that, then they make decisions. People who are falsely accused will choose one of two things. One is they'll, They'll say, hey, if being good doesn't pay off, I'm just going to be bad. 
You don't have to raise your hands, those who tried that. I did the other one. The other one is, I'm gonna be so good so this never happens again. And I was so good. I have a feeling that when I was falsely accused of something when I was 17 years old, that that's, has a big part in why I got so much traction when I learned about God and Torah. Why? Because my reaction to be falsely accused was to be as good as I could be so that that would never happen again. And so when I found out that being good requires 613 commandments, when I found out being good comes with Jewish law as a Jew, because I'm part of that tribe, but if that's what it means to be good, I'll do it. Anything not to feel that horrific feeling of being falsely accused. It's a horrible feeling. And so I thought being good was the way to go. Um, you're not first. She was first. Okay. So you and said then smart. someone. You said to get smart, right? So. Get smart with your heart. Right. Smart heart. Okay. Heart smart. You can make another website. Yeah. Heart smart. Okay. <laughs> Dot com. Is it after four? Or is it after three? Is there a tour? Yeah, there is there is a tour. Anyone who wants to come on the tour, we're leaving five minutes ago. Where's the tour? We're on the old city here. Old city tour. Place. Men and women? Uh, men and women, yes. They're leaving five minutes ago, so if you plan on going, please come back. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make that happen in a minute. Okay. I'll, I'll... Can we do the meditation? Yeah, we're gonna do the meditation. Uh, one sec, don't ask questions right now. Um, who wants to go on that tour? Who wants to go old city tour? Just the two of you? No one else wanted to go on that tour? Old City Tour? You want to hear the crazy thing? I've never been on an Old City Tour. It is, uh, but what I've heard is like, I'm literally riding by these incredible historic sites every time I come zooming in, and I'm here 26 years every day. I still have no idea where I am. It's like the Statue of Liberty. I'm just not the tour guy. Wait, let's do the meditation. Ask me after. It's quick. We're talking about being good or looking good. We're talking about being good. Okay, spiritual love. And then uh, what's after that? Uh, contribution. Contribution. That's a good student. Contribution, the last is what? Health. We're going to do a quick meditation, and um, and then uh, we'll, we'll hit the road. Um, is someone recording this on this phone? Yeah. No, I just, can I borrow your iPhone for a second? Samsung. Oh, it's a Samsung? You can go on YouTube for me. Um, yeah. Just put in YouTube, uh, put in a six hour relaxation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got five Relax, six hours relaxation. Six Isn't hour it? relaxation. That exactly, yeah. Otherwise, you get a lot of different things. And then the, choose the one with a shell on it. <laughs> just choose that one. Can okay, I borrow this? Yeah. Okay, and can you just hit the lights, please? Uh, top one, top button there. And uh, air conditioning, power off, please. You know what, you two are going on the tour. I think it's probably better you leave. It's not respectful to Rabbi... Uh, Rabbi... Uh, just remember these four things. 
spiritual love contribution love. Got it. That was close. The charger almost got a tour. Okay, gang, here we go. Can you close the door, please? Thank you. Okay, we're going to do a meditation just to align ourselves to our deepest desires to make sure that we are on the right path. You get it? <laughs> Why do people keep opening the door? I think she's planning on being at the meditation. Okay, so we're going to start with just uh, some some breathing. Um, also, the, the second button, uh, button number two also on the lights. Thank you. Close your eyes and breathe. I'm going to have my eyes closed the whole time. <laughs> you left the door open for the second time. Sorry. It's okay. It's actually the third time, but you're second. <laughs> I feel someone's eyes are looking at me right now, so please close your eyes. That was not nice. I'm being vulnerable here. Breathe, eyes closed. Get in touch with the fact, keep breathing deep, in and out. Get in touch with the fact that everything's made of desire. That nothing, nothing stands in front of desire. Whatever it is you want, it bulldozes whatever's in its path. Have in mind that whatever it is you will desire, you will get. God created the world this way. The universe conspires with your desire. In fact, the word in Hebrew for obstacles is the same word for beauty, pleasure. Nice. The word in Hebrew is minia or miniot, and the word in, it is the same letters as the word naim or niimut, sweetness. To get the sweetness out of what you desire means to chew on the fat of failure. That when you hit those obstacles, you didn't fail. You're just learning lessons on the way of how to succeed, to bring your desire into fruition. Keep breathing, allowing yourself to get in touch with your heart, your core, your true will. Chances are your life is divided up into things that are not going to help you achieve your desire. The hours of the day, the weeks, the months are not scheduled appropriately for that which you desire. 
there's also not knowing what you desire truly because so much of what you desire has been influenced by the world around you and therefore you have to make yourself like a desert to find your desire. And that's why all of our prophets got their voice from heaven when they were in the Midbar, in the wilderness, where there was only the voice of the prophet out there shepherding. Getting your heart in touch vibrationally with that which you desire the most and then getting your actions lined up as well. Starting with the spiritual, the top priority. The reason why spiritual is the top priority is because it's why you're here. It's the only part of you that will last forever. Everything else that you could ever desire will come to an end. It's only the things that you desire spiritually, meaning the connection that you desire. Only that will last forever. And for that reason alone, it's the most important. But there are other reasons. One is that, a second reason is that it's God's will. He created you. And therefore your desire must align with that. To connect back connecting back to God. Another reason is it's who you really are. All the self-image isn't actually you. The self-image is actually what hijacks and eclipses your spirit, your soul. Your soul is a universal part of the infinite. Cannot be limited by anything physical or temporal. It's who you really are. When you think of the word I, you're really talking about the soul. Your brain reports to you. Your brain is not you. Your brain reports to you. To the spirit. Now take a look at your life, let's say the last months or the last year, and see how much has been aligned with spirit. How much has that been aligned with the soul? And just take a quick evaluation of how much it's been far from it. How your the highest priority, which is spiritual, how far your schedule, your investment of money, time, effort has been far from that. Now take a deep breath and realign yourself with the priority of spirit, <coughs> spiritual priority. Just have in mind now a thing or two that you should be doing and a thing or two that you shouldn't be doing. 
things that are just clearly getting in the way. Things that take you far from this priority called spirit, spiritual. Align your desire with this spiritual. Such that it's easy. to do or not do the things that promote it or get in the way of it. Next is love. How are you prioritized? How's your schedule prioritized? How are your efforts prioritized when it comes to having or creating an immediate family full of love? How's your schedule? How is it prioritized? If you're single, is your dating practices leading towards love? Or is it pushing it away? Are you too closed off because you've been hurt before? Or are you too forward because you're going for the counterfeit of love? Lust. Just reflect on the last few months or the last year, getting in touch with how far away you've been from fulfilling your desire. self-aligned there's also eight ups six ways to align yourself for those who are single with finding your soulmate And now align your heart, take a deep breath and align your heart to be doing the things that bring more love and to push away that which is pushing love away. Now moving to the desire of contribution. Letting go of any self-image that gets in the way because it's so afraid of rejection and failure, but releasing all of that self-image and just getting back to the soul, which has no self-image. Take a moment and think about what's always bothered you about society. Just think about some aspect that's bothered you. It would have bothered you even as a child on the playground would have bothered you in your home at dinner time with the whole family. There's something about society that's always bothered you. Find that thing that's always bothered you about the world. And now, get in touch with your special gift 
you have a special gift that was either born into you or you learned it. A special gift, an applicable gift, a gift that you could apply to the world as your contribution. What is your gift? Is it talking? Is it networking? Is it writing? Is it music? Is it teaching? Is it business? And if it's business, what part of business? Is it marketing? What is your special gift that you were given? And now finally, take your special gift, your applicable gift, something you can apply to the world's problems, and now apply it to what's always bothered you about society, about the world. And allow your contribution now to shine forth in one word or two words max. Give it a word or two of what your contribution is. Again, applying what your special gift is to what's always bothered you. And then you'll have your contribution. If you want to give it a dot com, it might help you shorten it because no one wants a long sentence on a domain name. But just get it down to one or two words as your special contribution. Now take a deep breath and align yourself with it. You can take a look at your current behavior, where you're putting your effort, your energy, your money, time. See if it's in line with this. Now take a deep breath and align yourself with your contribution. Picture yourself taking one step towards that over the next 24 hours. Choose one action step towards your contribution. Just choose one simple action step to get the momentum going. And it will succeed because there's nothing that stands in front of desire. Your job is not how you'll do this. Your job is only... that you'll do it. Meaning your job is the what, not the why. Your job is only the what. 
not the how. How is up to God, and God will tunnel your way to that which you want to contribute to this world. You need to only focus on what. And God will network the how. He will orchestrate it for you. You have to do minimum so as not to push too hard to give God a chance to tunnel it for you. Lastly, health. Look over the last months of your life, years. How much of your lifestyle, habits, eating, exercise, sleeping, how much of it has been promoting your health and how much of it has been depleting your health? Take a deep breath and align yourself with that which you should be doing and that which you should be avoiding. Align yourself now to do that which you should be to promote your health and align yourself with the commitment to avoid that which is depleting it. Take another deep breath of health choose one thing that you're going to start doing as a healthy person. Take a deep breath and align your desire with that doing that you're going to start doing. And choose one thing you're going to avoid doing. Take a deep breath and align yourself with that. And now, envision, imagine your life aligned with the desire, spiritual desire. The desire of loving connection the desire to have contributed uniquely in this world with your special contribution. And with a healthy body to support you in the process. Take a deep breath of alignment with desire. The count of five, opening up your eyes, coming up one, Two, three, four, and five. Open up your eyes. So we spent uh, four days. Anyone was here for all four days? So I, I want to tell you something just in the bigger picture. Those who are here all four days is there are 10 spheros that God creates the world with 
And all we did these four days was the first one. It's called Keter. Keter means crown. And it's because the crown on the body is not on, it's not in the body. It's a spiritual crown. It's a crown. The crown is just your desire to go work it out, what it is you want and all that. That's already Chachm Vinadas. And then to go do it is Chesed Word in Pharisee. Netzahod, Yisod. And then to have it, meaning to actually have it in the end, is Malchus. That's the last sphere. So all we did these four days was Ketek. So, so I know I called it finding your true will these four days. But what we did was an in-depth, in-depth study of Ketek, which is will, desire. And that's also, well, since I'm finishing this part of the our work together, is Ketek is also where the the... 13 attributes of mercy come from. Why? Because God desired for creation. Where did this world come from? Desire. It's made of God's desire. More than anything else, it's made of his desire. So God has a desire for us to be here, but being here is a major liability. If you're here, you could easily, you know, get in trouble. You know, don't get into too many troubles. You could get in a lot of trouble down here. So because man can get into trouble in the creation that God desired, so he created 13 attributes of mercy that just let it go. And we call upon his 13 attributes of mercy when we've kind of, when our cheshbon's gotten heavy, when we've like, when the Jewish people have like, you know, we're weighing down too much on God's desire for having created the place. So we call upon those 13 attributes to remind God of, as if he needs a reminder, right? But maybe we're, 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 that, this is us, God, calling out your 13 attributes. Because your desire for the world is more important than how heavy we've become as a nation who can't seem to do anything right. And so that's what we use those 13 attributes for, to remind God of the original desire for having created the world. So that's it for this session. We're going to go on tomorrow with uh, Chachmah. And uh, we're going to do an in-depth on Chachmah to understand the... The real, and that's what all the work I do whenever I'm doing the consciousness work, that's all Chachma. So we're going to really go now in depth into con- the consciousness mindfulness movement uh, starting tomorrow. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.